you sick and tired of the financial bondage that's been holding you back? Are you ready to take charge of your finances to cut your mortgage payment in half while reducing your taxes significantly? If yes, then this podcast is for you. Fiscal Fitness and Freedom can pay off the national debt in less than 10 years. So from humble beginnings of just about $500, Scott built a billion-dollar mortgage company. So here's your host, Scott Smith. I'd like to welcome everybody to this episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. And with me, I have Alex today, and Alex works for A Hedge Fund. And we'll keep all the names at that level so that he can share his thoughts. And um, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Can you tell us a little about what you do? What's your title and what, you know, what do you do? Sure. So I'm a portfolio manager, uh, as you mentioned, at a hedge fund here in Miami. And the hedge fund focuses on fixed income investments, mostly uh, corporate credit here in the U.S. So I'm looking at all sorts of different bonds from companies uh, around the country and trying to pick out the best ones that pay you the most for the least amount of risk. Okay. That will bring some interesting questions about when we get to Banking 2.0, which and how that will impact the corporate bond market. That's a, a big question mark. But let's, so do you also deal with investors? Do you, under, you know, you understand their psychology? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I also work directly with all of our institutional investors in the hedge fund. So definitely dealing with investor psychology as well. Okay. And you, you one might think that institutional investors, so that'd be like pension funds or endowments, that it's a sort of a, just an analytical, purely cool play, but the human element plays strongly, doesn't it? It does. I would say, you know, we're very blessed that we have very sophisticated investors who who tend to understand what we do. Um, but I've definitely had a lot of experience in the past with others that are much more emotional. So yes, the, the bigger does not necessarily mean more analytical. Right. And especially if things tank. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. So for those who might not have watched other episodes and not much, I'm going to give you that one minute view of what the Financial Freedom Act is. It's basically a proposal that we would eliminate all of our income taxes. That would be state income tax, federal income tax. That would also include sales tax. That would include social security tax, property taxes. All taxes could be eliminated if we replace those taxes with a quarter of 1% tax on every payment. So in other words, think of the economy as a giant pie. And in that pie, there's almost $8,000 trillion of payments. That's the latest number on it now. $8,000 trillion, 8,000 trillion, that's eight quadrillion. And there's a little sliver in that pie of 21 trillion. It's like a third of 1% of the total pie that's what we tax today. That's our income. Our income pays for sales tax. We pay our property taxes out of income. So we're taking a tax of 30, 40% out of this tiny sliver. Instead, we could do a quarter of a percent. And so if you're earning 100 grand, the bottom line would be you pay 30 to 40,000 in taxes a day and your taxes would go down to $250. And that would be your fair share if we were to be taxing every payment out there. Now, the piece about that it gets interesting is even though it's so tiny, the pie is so big, 
the tax rate so tiny with that big of a pie, we'd balance the national budget. There'd be no deficit. We could pay off the national debt over time, and we could afford to pay every adult citizen 24000 a year in basic income, free healthcare, and free college. So as a financial analyst, you look at the economy, you look at um, how all of those pieces come together. Um, what do you think of a proposal like that? I mean, once your head start, stops spinning. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when, when I first heard about it from you, Scott, uh, my head was spinning. Um, and like you said, uh, given, given my personality and, you know, my financial uh, analytical acumen, I, I couldn't help myself. So I went to your website and started running some numbers and building my own spreadsheets and doing some math. <laughs> and it was, it was pretty fascinating. And um, actually, one of the things that, that I was looking at was you had a, a great graph that showed all of the total payments. And my favorite section, I believe, was at the bottom that went through sort of other payments, which were all financial markets related, which is, you know, where I spend all my time and, and my day is I saw you had things on there about stock transactions and foreign exchange and derivatives mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. options and all these different things. And so that's the market I'm most familiar with. And one that at least personally, I, I wouldn't feel too bad if they got an extra quarter of a percent tax on all that, because I think those people make enough money. There's not a lot of people in the investment world that are struggling. So I don't think that would be a big deal. <laughs> and off of your theory, which I thought was fascinating, I actually ran the numbers pretty simply just off of the sort of financial markets payments. Um, and if I did the math right, I'm just looking now, I, I come up with about 9.1 trillion just from doing your uh, 25 basis point tax on, on the financial part of the market, which as you mentioned, is, is more than the annual budget every year and leaves enough money you know, to pay each American $192,000 a year after covering the whole budget just by taxing financial transactions and the investment markets by 25 basis points. Um, right. That's right. If we were to take all that and route that back, that's what that comes out to. And that's kind of a shocking, shocking number. Let me, let me yeah. ask you a question because I was always in the financial world and like, you know, it's big, you know, if part of the, part of the, challenge in the job is you're dealing with billions and ten bil tens of billions in at home, you know, you're not dealing with those numbers. <laughs> but you know, it's big. But were you surprised at the total volume of payments? Yeah, absolutely. Especially in comparison to the GDP, right, which you had on, on your website as well. Yeah. You know, I guess conceptually, you would think the GDP is larger because it includes more things than just payments. But um, there's obviously multiple payments happening for each one of those components of GDP. So it, it makes sense after seeing the data, but it's it's pretty unfathomable to look at some of those figures. And like you said, once you start talking about quadrillions, it, it's pretty mind blowing. And just to underscore how surprising it is, and it's just not common knowledge that these amount of payments out there, and I keep, again, you know, keeping names more anonymous, but a Federal Reserve president and I had a conversation and he was blown away by those numbers, had no idea. And he, he was like, like, what is your source? And I'm like, the Fed, <laughs> he's, like, he's a Fed president. He's, where in the Fed, it, you know, and so he had to go in the footnotes and look it up. And he's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. I said, do you think that anyone, any other president in the Fed, because there are only 12 of them, 
because I'm I'm quite sure none of us knew this. Neither does the director. I mean, that was his feeling. And so it's like to me, the mind-boggling part is how can a number that big be like undiscovered and just not out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you know, one as a nerd and a financial analyst, I I love the the Federal Reserve website, Fred. They have a ton of amazing data on there. I I enjoy playing around on there because I can't help myself. Um, I've never come across that data point, and trust me, I've looked through there for lots of fun stuff. But it it, it makes sense once once you recognize it, and you know the the data is there, as you said, through the Fed, and it's just not, not something that is is widely quoted in financial markets you know obviously there's lots of talk about m2 which is money supply and the velocity of money and things like that which are very common but just actual you know volume of transactions is never anything i've i've seen in terms of data not neither have i i mean i think at times i've seen reports on volume of say the new york stock exchange and and so, and so like you look at the congress i mean you really can't blame them on this because the they don't know the number. If if you know we don't know the number, how would they know the number? So they they put their gun sights on income, and then it's like okay, maybe wealthier people, or maybe maybe the poor aren't paying enough. So this gun sight keeps moving at this teeny little target that's insignificant compared. Then they see the New York Stock Exchange. Let's tax that. That's still only one or two percent of the whole monetary economy. So they don't even know the target to be aiming at. And so how can we really? blame anyone and to be fair like when i had the concept that you tax all payments like it took me years until i found that there was a small group in the fed that reported this to the bank for international settlements and it's just a few economists involved and they're not policy wonks they're only thinking of traffic on the rails you know so they're worrying about a problem most people don't even know exists out there traffic on the rails we need to know the traffic on the rails and so they keep track of it and then it just stays in their little database. And, and meanwhile, they've got this gold nugget that if they were, I, I don't know, it just is, um, maybe it's the best kept secret in the world. Well, I think, I think, you know, from your experience in finance as well, uh, you know, a lot of people in the industry went to the same schools, learned the same things, took the same tests, have the same certifications look at stocks the same way, look at bonds the same way. And there's not a lot of creative thinking necessarily on mass in the industry. And so, like you said, people just sit there every day, collect the data that they have to do for their job, put it in their ledger and move on and not think about the broader implications. So I'm glad somebody is. Yeah. It's, so let, let me ask you this. You did answer one big question. Do you think the industry could manage a quarter of a point tax and, and you, you Everyone I've talked to in the financial community says if it means no more capital gains and no more income taxes, um, don't worry, we can manage it, you know. But how do you think this would impact the average American? Yeah, so in, this is why I sort of did the math um, from your website, Scott, is because I looked at that table um, and, you know, it raised, I think, $19 trillion or something unfathomable like that, which is amazing. But then I said, all right, well, what if I just take out just the financial markets piece? Because I don't feel too bad about taxing those people 25 bips on their derivative trades, right? And, and I'm one of them. So, right. uh, you know, I, I have the right to say that. But then I was just thinking through, you know, I'm sure you have, and I have worked at big banks as well. 
And I looked at the top part of that uh, chart, which was all the other sort of traditional real economy type payments and money movements. And my fear, to be honest, is on that top part, that will all get passed on to the end consumer anyway. And mm-hmm. so they'll be paying the tax that the banks don't want to pay through their settlements, whether it's through fees or transaction costs or whatever it is. And so that's why I was curious, does the math still work only on the financial markets piece? Which yeah. it does, which is exciting. So that's that's my only personal feedback is I don't I don't trust big banks to do the right thing and not pass on fees to their customers. Yeah. So I actually did look at that angle on that. And if you look at the what part of the fees would be attributable to citizens, it's a tiny it's not much. It's they're making these fees on the whole convoluted financings of the monetary economy. You know, when they're passing, when they're advancing money before capital call commitment for a pension, you know, a PE fund, et cetera, et cetera. So the fees being passed on, I think, would be consumed, would be absorbed by the largesse within the monetary economy. And, you know, if they're passing on the fee of when you make your mortgage payment to them, you know, and you're paying a quarter of 1% more of the payment, it's not much. So I think bottom line, and this would be interesting to have more conversations and actually nerd out and go and start looking this up. But I think that what happens is the portion of the economy, that's the material economy where humans are involved, even if the fees get passed to them, it's like way less significant than like right now we pay eight, we pass an 8% sales tax on, you know, so now we'd be passing a quarter of a percent sales tax back. It's actually still be a tax reduction for for the warm-blooded humans, which is why we have our economy, it's almost like we're taxing the inhuman them out there. <laughs> we're taxing yeah, the monopoly game, right? Yeah, and the yeah, players. no, it's it's a it's a good trade, um, like you said, for the for the consumer, as long as you know there there's follow through from government to ensure that you know there aren't additional fees, yeah. unwarranted or costs that do get passed on. I, I agree. Let me ask you this question too. One of the themes, you know, early on in the process, I met with some of the families that own a lot of the financial assets, you know, because it's the trade of those financial assets that generate this. And I said, in effect, you'll be paying this tax, but it feeds back into the material economy and all your financial assets, the value of them is indexed back to the material economy. And so the increase in the value of financial assets will far exceed the tax you pay because there's this like 100 to 1 multiplying effect of financial assets. And the gentleman I talked to said, we'd see it that way too, which I was grateful to hear. I don't know if I'd go forth with it if I felt like those people were you know, going to try to stop me. Yeah. Do you think that the value of financial assets will increase? under this type of economic stimulus? Yeah, I mean, theoretically, if, if you one balance the budget and have, you know, free education and healthcare for everyone in the, in the country and you remove capital gains and income taxes, I, I don't see how that doesn't improve the value of all assets. It, it would seem to have to, you know, it's like water seeking its own level. That's the free market would drive it up. Mm-hmm. So. In some odd way, a payment tax pays for itself in the increase of the value of the assets. And so all the reasons not to do this just kind of 
participate on that. Yeah. Well, if you have to sell a stock, right, and you make a, a huge profit on it, uh, right now you have to pay capital gains. That's a lot more than 25 basis points. <laughs> so uh, yeah, in that same right. scenario, right, just pure math. Yeah. So if you're paying 20% or 50% versus 25 basis points, you immediately, without any other impacts to the value of the securities, have more cash on hand to now reinvest into other things in the economy or buy things in the real economy, which creates jobs and GDP. And so just, just from that perspective, going back to a thing I mentioned earlier, which is the, the velocity of money mm-hmm. right? In, in the economy, I think you, you massively increase the velocity because there's less mm-hmm. barriers to having more cash run through the, the real economy. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Yeah, very interesting. Well, Alex, thank you for sharing your views. And let's do another episode in which we dive into Banking 2.0. That's going to be right up your alley, (laughs) being a corporate bond trader. And I'd love to see what you think of, of of that proposal. But thanks for being with us. Hope to see you back on another episode. So that's it for today's episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value. Grand prize drawing for a private VIP mentoring session with Scott Smith himself. Be sure to head on over to FiscalFitnessAndFreedom.com and pick up a copy of Scott's blueprint, to discovering your own unique formula to personal success and join us on the next episode.